Poe and Serling call a pit, something that once you fall into, you don't get out. While Shakespeare wrote, to business that we love, we rise betimes and go to it with delight. That's passion. We can never escape that which fuels us and guides our heart and mind. It's our passion pit. Greetings. I'm Jay Michaels. This is Jay Michaels and I'm in the Passion Pit. Now, uh, I gotta preface this by saying I don't get scared anymore at movies. I've been watching horror movies for four years and so I kind of know the math, I know what's happening. You know, I'm, I'm able to smile through the goriest moments and say, okay, that's, oh, that was, I, I, where I'm with somebody, they'll sit there and go, ah! But I just will go, oh, that was done very well. <laughs> that was broken when I watched Terrifier. It was broken because I saw an actor create a character within a character. He created, you know, when we talk about the killer clown, that's many movies. So you can, you think of everything from killer clowns to Stephen King, but we found a new dimension into this character. And, and I'm thrilled to be talking to Art the Clown, David Howard Thornton, who's going to share with us a little bit about, uh, about Terrifier, the fact that Terrifier 2 is coming out, and, and his own career. Uh, David, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Cool. Tell me about yourself. Tell me about, about uh, David the actor. David, uh, b t tell me about the, the trip to Art the Clown. <laughs> well, I was born a poor black child. I'm a kid. <laughs> that's you know that's that's a horrible joke. You know, so I think Stephen. I, I think uh, uh, Steve Martin's going to sue you for that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Life wasn't always so easy. <laughs> no, 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 no Navin here. <laughs> but no, I'm I'm originally from uh, Huntsville, Alabama. I moved up here um, about 14 years ago to New York City to pursue acting, and started off as a stage actor and graduated to doing voiceover work and then graduated doing to like TV and film work. Now, now you say graduate, how, how was the theater career? Uh, I'm, I'm a theater person myself, so I'm, oh, I always uh, prick up my ears at that. Tell us about your theater career. Yeah, I, I started oddly enough doing theater almost out of the womb. It seems like I was like doing church theater when I was a toddler because <laughs> like my parents were heavily involved with the church theater. My mom would direct shows. My dad would be in them or stuff like that. And, I, I did like school theater, and that's when I discovered my niche, my love for it. I guess you could say it was just like I, I, I really, I was, I was bullied a lot in school growing up, and it was my eighth grade year, and my mom was always like, "Have your classmates ever seen the the funny side of you that you you're always like at home?" And so like, no, they haven't. It's like, well, you need to audition for um. The production of Mickey's Christmas Carol that's coming up. You'd be perfect for Mickey Mouse, Bob Cratchit. So go out for it. I'm like, oh, okay, sure. Because I, I did like a really good imitation of Mickey Mouse. So, oh, oh boy, I hope you heard of me. I hope. So, so I was like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll do it. And I got the part, and we're on stage performing from the whole entire school, and things start to go wrong, and I just started improvising on the spot. And just had the audience just dying laughing while everybody else is just kind of standing on stage in a stupor because, you know, like middle schoolers don't know how to improv, really. They just, when things go wrong, they're just kind of like, oh. And I just kept going and just making stuff up and it basically turned into a stand up routine. And I loved it because it was like this feeling that I had, like, it's like this control, this power I had over the the audience is, is like, you know, they're with me instead of these, the people that always made fun of me, instead of them laughing at me, they were laughing with me. And that I loved that feeling. feeling. Oh, it was, it was like a rock. I felt like a rock star. And I was like the first time at that school where people were like, you know, enjoying me. And I was like, this is great. I love this feeling. I want more of this. And so I just went off from there and started doing uh, community theater and went off to school. I, I, oddly enough, I didn't get a, uh, a degree in theater. I got my degree in teaching, uh, elementary education, because I was trying to be pragmatic with my life. And I was like, well, you know, the teaching degree, I can, 
you know, have a sustainable income, blah, blah, blah. And then my mom passed away while I was in college. And that changed my whole perspective on life. I was like, yeah, uh, we're our final conversation together, she pointed out to me, it's like, you know, life is too short not to do this, the things you want to do with your life. Don't think you have to do what you think you have to do with your life. Do what you want to do with your life. And I, I, it took about a year or so, and that really just simmered up in my head. And I discovered, yeah, I, I, I get more enjoyment out of entertaining my students rather than teaching my students. And I'm like, this is what I need. I'm, I'm an entertainer. This is what I need to do with my life. This is my calling. And I decided from then on to uh, give up the teaching career and move up to New York. Because that drug had hit you so hard on stage. Yeah. Yeah, it it saved me in a lot of ways because I I went through, you know, you know in middle schools a lot. I mean, I I tried committed suicide when I was younger because of all the bullying and stuff like that. And theater got me out of that. Then after my mom died, I went through a very dark period too. And it was theater that it was therapy for me because I could escape for like a few hours and be someone else, and I could bring joy and happiness to other people. And I'm like. I like this. I want, this is what I want to do. I like bringing this kind of happiness to people. I was going to say something superficial, like, like community theater. Cause I know in, in my life in doing that, it really teaches you everything. It teaches you the improv, it, it teaches you everything backstage. Uh, but, but what you said is so much more powerful. Oh my gosh. So, so theater really did save your life. It did. It really did. It's, it's, I, I would not be where I am right now. I might not still be here now if it weren't for theater. Did that give you a kind of brave, you know, when you reach that point in life and then something pulls you back, did it give you the bravery that you could, you hear about every kind of audition that doesn't work and shows that don't go up and movies that lose their finances? Did it give you a bravery to continue no matter what the, the element was? Yes, because that's, that's how it is for, you know, actors. We face rejection on, you know, pretty much a daily basis. So you have to learn to just persevere. That's how you make it in this career. It's It's not like... You know, you know, people that go into, you know, insurance, you just go and, you know, go in for the, the job application and get the job or not. And then you're pretty much good until you get fired with, with <laughs> acting. There's always the, the, the jobs only last for so long and then you, you're got to find another acting job. It's, it's not. It's those, and then when you're looking for those jobs, you're competing against so many other talented people, especially here in New York. It's just. And I know so many people that give up so easily here. Yeah, you know, they 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 come from these small towns that are used to being big fishes in small ponds, and they come up here expecting the same, and they don't understand. They're just a, another fish in a very the biggest pond in the world, pretty much. And it it yeah, you might have amazing talent, but it's like it comes down to superficial things that you have no control over. And some people don't realize that and they take it personally. And they don't realize like, no, you just have to keep on and keep on and keep on and keep on and keep on. For every yes, I've had about 100 no's. I get the feeling that uh, that this whole fate has built you up for this because uh, the religious upbringing uh, gives you a sense of faith and fate. Uh, then uh, to, to be pulled back from the, from the brink of ending your life, uh, the, the strength, the power that it, that it gives you to do this. Okay, so, so there you are in New York and you're weathering through there. And so you go from, from one hell to another. You decide to, yeah. to now do film. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's hit that hell. How did, how did, how did, what was the transition between stage acting and film acting? It was terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I literally had come back from uh, doing my fifth tour with How the Grinch Stole Christmas, the musical, and I took a few months off just living off my unemployment from tour because I was like, you know, I just want to focus on trying to get a good acting job. And at that point, I was just auditioning for Broadway tours. And I was up for four different Broadway tours, and they all fell through for one reason or another. One of them came down to a flip of a coin. It was for the, the tour of um, uh, Peter and the Starcatcher. I was up for bum break in that, and they couldn't decide between me and who else, uh, the other person, and Roger Reese just flipped a coin. and <laughs> Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. So I could have worked for Roger Reese, but at the same time, I realized all these things I lost out on, if I had gotten any of those, like Bullets Over Broadway, that, or uh, Annie, all these, all these shows, I was like, 
I wouldn't have been able to either audition for Terrifier or film Terrifier. So it worked out the right way. Yeah, really. Yeah. Uh, now, it's interesting. Uh, 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 people, people always, oh, oh I want to do Broadway. I want to do these. I want and and they, don't, they don't put horror movies in that kind of situation of saying this is, this is, this is something high up. And, and you're saying that, which is yeah. wonderful. Uh, now, it's an enduring character. And it's, it's, it's it, like we said before I, I started taping, you're a genre celebrity now. <laughs> uh, so you've reached that point with it. Um, when you got that role, when uh, Art the Clown, uh, uh, what was the process? I, I, I'll, I'll be a fanboy for 30 seconds and tell you, like I said, I, I was truly, pardon the pun, terrified. I thought, after a point, I stopped being terrified and just watched your acting and said, mm -hmm. wow, what a choice to do that. What a choice to freeze. How did he figure, why did he do that? Uh, uh, tell, tell me how you created that character. Wow, a lot of things went into my rendition of art. I mean, first of all, I I was not the first actor to play art. The original actor, Mike Gianelli, just decided not to come back to the role. He just decided to do other things with his life instead of acting. So it, it that worked out for me. So I, I took a lot of what he did and just evolved it. Because you know, he Mike didn't have the, the background in physical comedy like I did. So that was like one thing I really wanted to add to the character was more of the clowning aspect to him. Because I have a, a, a true love of um, silent comedians and clowns. And I love physical comedy and I love great physical comedians. And I grew up watching Marx Brothers and Laurel and Hardy and Charlie Chaplin and you know Three Stooges. And then my, my aunt, when I was about 12 or 13 years old, she gifted me a box set of all the Mr. Bean videos. And I would sit there and watch them over and over and over and over and over and over. And I loved that. And I was like, I love this style of comedy because it's not something you see that much anymore. It, it, was, you know, it was pretty much prevalent back during the silent film days and the vaudeville days, but it, it died off during the mid, I would say the mid 1900s, except for, you know, Jim Carrey brought some of it back in a lot of ways. And Chris Farley did too, in a lot of ways too. Sure. He doesn't really get, you know, he doesn't really get credit for that, I think. But um, yeah, that's a, and, and I love that style. And I did a lot of that doing uh, community theater because I did a lot of children's plays and children are more into the physical comedy than they are into the verbal comedy. They, they're very visual. And so I had taken all those years honing those skills and developing it. And I really never had anybody that could really take me aside and really fine tune it though because there aren't that many people that do this and it wasn't until i did the grinch because i was the understudy for the grinch in that and our grinch was stefan carl who you might know is robbie rotten from the show lazy town he passed away two years ago from cancer unfortunately but stefan was actually a trained clown he he was an expert in this field and so he took me aside and really just gave me a lot of pointers and, you know, helped fine tune my, my skills. And so I, I learned a lot from him. And so I put a lot of him and all these other people I learned from, you know, even Doug Jones took a lot of inspiration from him as well. And I put that into art, but I also took my love of just great horror villains and other villains like the Joker. There's a lot of Joker in art. There's a lot of Freddy Krueger in art. There's little bits of Pinhead and Jason, Mike Myers, Chucky, Leatherface, Jigsaw, all those guys are inside art. I kind of look at art as like he's the ultimate horror fanboy. And he's basically the, the bastard child of Harpo Marx and Freddy Krueger. That's how I that's how I look at him in my head. That's who he is. Oh my gosh, that's 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 a brilliant analogy. Um Okay, so, so uh, I'm, I'm grabbing on a couple of things you said here uh, about silent era. One of the things that chilled me the most, uh, Art the Clown doesn't speak, nor does he grunt or yell or anything. He gets hit, he gets shot, he gets all these wonderful things. And, and I, just, you know, I just see there was no sound. Was that your choice, that he, there's no sound coming out of him? That was, that was actually Damien's choice, but I made the choice to actually make no sound on set which is very difficult to do, especially when you're taking a hit because you instinctively want to make the grunts and the exhales and stuff like that. And I, I, I did my best not to do that. I, I might let one like sneak out here or there, but I would say about 
99% of the time, I am not making a sound when I'm doing all that. Uh, how real? Now, now, when you created the role, did you, you know you said he's, he's, uh, he's the ultimate, you know, distorted fanboy. Uh, is he, he, do we get the idea he's human? Because, again, these, these, these monsters you've mentioned, yeah. many of them are not human. Did you keep him as, as an insane individual, or, or is, he, is there something more within your characterizations? Um, a little bit of both. I, I kind of look at because, you know, you can tell by the end of Terrifier that there's some supernatural element going on. And we do address that in part two. We start off addressing that. So it's like, okay, yeah. So, but I kind of look at it as like um, in Terrifier 1, I don't think Art knows that there's something else going on with him. So he's just another guy and he's just messed up in the head and he's doing these things because he just enjoys it. I, I look. I think like the the homeless woman nails it on the head, where she's like, "Yeah, he's doing this because it's funny to him, and he's yeah. trying to entertain himself. He's he's like the anti clown. Clowns always try to entertain other people. Art's doing all that to entertain himself. He doesn't care about anybody else. He doesn't care how anybody else reacts to it. It's all about him. What's funny to him? I got that in that brilliant moment when uh, when he decides he's going to pull a Silence of the Lambs. Mm -hmm. and, and he's he's dancing, and I won't say how for those who haven't seen it yet. <laughs> uh, I, I remember like what what is he? And I just sat here and I was like, oh my god! It was it was again was uh, was was that yours to contribute? Was that in the script? How did that? Because that was such a, a that and the moment with the uh, with the homeless woman and her her, her baby mm -hmm. uh, uh, were were really these brilliant touches that that you don't see in, in such characters. Were those Ooh. yours? Or, or where did those come from? It was a little bit of both. I mean, Damien had written those bits into the, the script, just saying what's happening here. Like Art puts on his victim's body parts and walks up and does stuff. But he never said how. And, ah. and it, originally in the script, I was wearing the body parts over my clown costume. And it wasn't until like two days before Damien comes up to me. He's like, Damien, I, I, I have a... a, a a fun but crazy idea and I don't know how you'll respond to it. And I'm like, I think it'll be really creepy if Art does that naked. And I'm like, oh, God, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know who wants to see my naked ass on screen, but <laughs> I'm like, oh, God, you know, they're, they're thinking, what, are we doing a sequel to E.T. or something? I don't know. But, <laughs> but it's just like, yeah, that's, you know, because I, I never really wanted to do nudity on screen, especially for my first screen role. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, oh, like... great. Oh, great. But I was like, you know what? I, I looked at it. I was like, well, if Catherine's going to be doing her scene where she's, you know, her death scene where she's upside down and naked, and she yeah. totally commits to it like that, I'm like, yeah, I can do this as well. If she's willing to expose herself to such a vulnerable state, I can do the same as well. Because it, it's for the scene, and you're right, that would be very, very creepy. And so that we did that. And we actually did two different versions of that scene. One where I'm just coming up doing, as you see on screen, the other one where I come up with the baby doll and I'm training it like it's my baby. And I have it like suckling on my boob. <laughs> and then I, at one point I start doing a little puppet show with it where I have the baby dolls telling me where she's hiding. It's like whispering stuff in my ear and then points out to where she is and, and Damien had a hard time choosing which version to use because they're both equally creepy in their own way. Yeah, yeah. That was all stuff where he just let me play. He's just like, just just do something. Just like like the baby doll. He's like, why don't you just, here, take the baby doll and do some weird stuff with it. And I just went with it. I get that, that feeling. Whenever I speak to indie directors, the ones where the films are really powerful are the ones where they say, okay, here, now, now go figure out what to do. Yeah. And, and it seems you had a lot of opportunity with this. Yeah, it, we did. It, that's what I like about working with Damien. He's, he's one of these guys. That he's, he's not one of those directors where it's just my way or the highway. He's one of those directors that likes to collaborate with other people. If other people have ideas, if it's crew members, they have an idea for something. He's like, yeah, let's try that. Now, now, now it's coming down to, to all these let's tries. Uh, mm -hmm. Sounds to me you had like this, okay, yes, you, you were bullied and all of that. There was, there was the negatives, but... You had loving parents. You did community theater at church, uh, and and things like that. 
how did you gear your mind? Because like I say, you, you, you've taken that character to another level. How did you gear your mind in terms of creating this role to, to just allow yourself to do that? How did it seem, how did you make it so natural there? I don't know if that's I, or not. I know, I don't know either. It's just, I, I don't really know how to explain it. It's, it's just one of those things I can just turn on or turn off. I've always been able to do that with characters. I love playing villains. I think villains are really interesting characters to play because there's always so much more going on with them. And so I, I've basically built up my own mythos for the character in my head, and I know who he is and all that kind of stuff. And and so as soon as, as long as I have that and I know who they are in my head, I can just turn it on and turn it off. I don't have to do any of the method acting like some people do. I think my, my co-star is quite happy I'm like that. <laughs> but yeah, just, I can just let myself go. I can, I can just have fun in the moment. I just, yeah. <laughs> um, you have a lot of moments where you freeze uh, mm -hmm. for long periods of time. Uh, really an effective moment. Uh, how did you gauge how long, how did you gauge wh when to freeze? How did you, uh, as an actor, say, okay, this is more terrifying than this? How did you, uh, wh what was in you to decide when these, because you did a lot of stage pictures. It's almost funny, yeah. like, like you're almost waiting for the camera to take a picture of you. Uh, uh, how, did you how did you come to that decision? Oh, it's a little bit of both me and Damien. Like, uh, the freeze scene was actually one of those things where I, when we're first filming it, I'm like, what the hell am I doing here? <laughs> it's like, how is this scary? I'm like, why am I just standing here like this, frozen like this? And, and he's like, just trust me on this. I'm like, okay. So he's like, just trust your instincts and just unfreeze when you feel like it's right to do a little jump forward. I'm like, Okay, cool. And so I did that. And then I saw the playback to it. And especially when I saw him, how he edited the scene, I'm like, oh, God, I totally see what you're going with there. So that's one of those, that's the moment where I learned to totally and completely trust Damien's judgment on things. When he's like, no, just trust me on this. I'm like, okay. Okay. But a lot of other times it's just, it's instinctual things. It's just, it's, it, it, I guess a lot of it go, just comes back to my, my uh, background in comedy where it's all about timing and you just feel it. And there would be takes where I'm like, let's do another take because that just didn't feel right. And then you have that take where it just, everything feels like it happened, like it should happen. And those are always the takes we use. It's just like, it's one of those things I just instinctually feel when something was right with how I did things. So it's a complete feeling for you. It was just, yeah. okay, freeze and don't. You knew exactly when when to let go. There's, there's a story of E.G. Marshall and Burt Lahr in uh, Waiting for Godot a million years ago. And E.G. Marshall was a dramatic actor and he couldn't, he couldn't make comedy at all. Burt Lahr said, just hold my hand on that line. And when I squeeze it, stop speaking. When I squeeze it again, start speaking and you'll get a laugh. And E.G. Marshall didn't know what he was talking about, so, but he's holding his hand. He said a line, squeeze, uh, he silent, squeeze, and he said it and he gets an uproarious laugh. He had asked Bert Lawrence, he said, how did you know that? He said, I just feel it. That's, 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 yeah. you feel the audience. So, so you were feeling those, those moments of terror in there. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really weird. <laughs> is, is there a way uh, uh, to know the difference? It might seem like a stupid question. Is there a way of knowing the difference if something's going to be funny or if something's going to be terrifying? Because you would do these little, you'd just do this face, and one clown would make us laugh. You didn't. Uh, right. What do you do? Is there, is it a feeling? Is it a moment? Is it something intellectual that just turns it differently, that makes it terrifying? I, I guess so, yeah. It's, it's something I've really not, it's just, like I say, it's all pure instinctual things with me. It just, I, I, I just feel it in the moment. It, like, it, it was sometimes just like the little turns of the head or just those little things where I'm like, that just, it just feels right to do it in that moment to me. I, I just... I, I, I wish I could describe it better. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's interesting. If we want to speak spiritually for a moment, there you are on stage in a church and suddenly you get laughter and suddenly something is imbued in you. And maybe at that point, every ounce of instinct, every ounce of talent, every ounce of everything came to the fore. So, mm -hmm. so you can master this character very easily. Uh, what tell now terrified. Now there's so many horror movies to come out now. Uh, I had, a, I had a, a, a film teacher once tell me, if you don't know what movie to do, take a bunch of your friends up to a cabin in the woods and kill them. 
and fill it and film it, and that's your movie. Uh, so everybody does horror movies, but this one ended up standing out. Uh, in your estimation, what made it different? What now? I could I could be ingratiating and say, well, it's a character. Please, it's like Freddy Krueger here. We have another character. But in your estimations, what made that movie stand out? What did it for you that you said, oh, okay, I I knew it'd be great, or oh my god, I I didn't realize it'd be great. I, I think for one, it is the character. It's uh, it's he's a very charismatic villain. He's not your typical silent killer that you see in so many horror films now where it's just another guy with a mask that just tilts his head to the side or something like that it's just there there's a charisma about him there's personality and he, that's what i like about the character and i think that's what draws people to him he's like he's a villain you want to watch and I, I remember like one of our producers came to set the first time he saw me and he's like oh wow it was the first time he saw me in the makeup he's like that that is an iconic look. That is, you guys don't know it yet, but that's something that's going to really resonate with us. So it's the look of the character too. It's just like he has a very distinct look. Yeah, really, the 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 makeup that you had, the cheekbones and everything like that, were were really incredible. Yeah, in that's all, Damien. It, it's, it's that, but I also think is um, we were willing to just go there with things because it, it, it this was a, a horror film made by a true horror fan. Damien is like the ultimate horror fanboy. He, he is literally named after Damien from the Omen. He was watching horror films when he was two or three years old. So he's like got an encyclopedic knowledge of horror films. Like when we were conferring about terrifier two and trying to come up with the kill scenes and stuff like that, I would, I would, I like, we like to like bounce ideas off of each other. And I would say, oh, what about this kind of kill? It's like, oh, that was done in this obscure movie that no one's ever seen, blah, 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 blah. I mean, so he doesn't want to imitate other people. If he does an imitation, he wants to do his own twist on it. And okay. so it's a, he, he knows horror. It's like he knows horror like I know comedy. And that, I think that's why we work really well together. And he wasn't afraid to, like, pull back at all. He, he went full throttle. Like, I remember reading the script and read the, the hacksaw scene, and I'm like... Oh. Wow, are you, uh, so I'm assuming this is all just going to cut away and then we're, we're just going to see the aftermath. He's like, oh, no, 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 no. We're going to show it happening. I was like, what? He's like, yeah, yeah, we're going to have a prosthetic and you're, you, you'll see all the guts just falling out. You're actually going to cut through it and all that. And I'm like, holy crap, you don't see that in movies. He's like, no. It's like, especially now, they always like, you see the first strike and then they cut away. You might see it happen in silhouette or you see a splash of blood and then you see the aftermath. You don't actually see it happening. And I think that's what people really picked on. It's like, oh, wow, they're actually showing the kills happen. They're showing the gore. It's interesting. You, you, you said something, and I think that's probably what did it for this film. Uh, you know comedy like he knows horror. So, so both of these great minds together, that's what, what created this. Uh, did you think it would be this big? When, when, no. when it broke this way, did you go, what? Yeah, that, that was our reaction. Because, I mean, we <laughs> were trying to be honest with ourselves. I mean, we thought we had a fun film, but we knew it wasn't a perfect film by any means. I mean, first of all, we were extremely low budget. We, we made this for $50,000. That's it. That shows the talent of the crew and the cast that were involved with this thing. We made this on a shoestring budget. Like, we, we just utilized the locations we were able to find. It's like that bathroom you see in the movie, that's how it looked. None of that was set dressing. None is like that was all basically there. And Damien did the prosthetics himself. He built all of that himself. He did all the makeup himself. He's self-taught. It's just like this is the true talent of these people here. And so, I mean, I thought it was – it was a good movie in itself. I didn't think it was, you know, you know, Shakespearean or anything else. Like, I know it's got a very minimal plot. It's basically like, you know, the plot of Killing Joke, where it's just about, you know, how one bad day drives a person insane. And you're saying, what drove this girl insane? That's the plot of it. Yeah. It's very minimal. But you don't need a big, huge, fancy plot for these type of films. It just has to be fun. And I thought, oh, well, we have a fun film. People are going to be entertained by this. And, but, you know, we're be honest with ourselves because we were an independent film and we didn't have a big, huge Hollywood studio system behind us doing all the publicity for us. They're so like, well, you know, maybe the fans of 
All Hallows Eve, the original, the, the first film that Art was in. Maybe they'll like it. That'll be great. Yay. And so we released and, you know, it was, it was the fans that got it out there. It was the fans' word of mouth because we didn't have big, huge articles being published in like big entertainment websites like, you know, IGN or Vanity Fair or anything like that. It was all the horror websites, the fan websites. And they were all telling each other, oh, you have got to see this film. And then when we hit Netflix, it just, boom, exploded. And we did not expect that. Wow, this got onto Netflix. Oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah. and I, I'm not saying it negatively. I'm saying, oh, that's, that's brave of Netflix. My gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They took a risk on us. But it was, I think it was just that word of mouth that had been going around about it for a few months beforehand. They're like, okay, we got to check this out. And it did gangbusters on Netflix. It was like, I think the whole entire, the two years we were on there, we were one of the top rated horror films on Netflix. Wow. Which is I, unheard of for an independent film. We're, we were holding our own against the studio system. I think that's changing. To say, to say against the studio system immediately, you almost think the outcome. But I don't think that's the case anymore because people realize yeah. what, what passion does. Uh, yes, 50 grand. Thank you. I feel much better. But, um, <laughs> but uh, uh, the concept of the passion of it, it is a perfect 80s send-up. It is a perfect 80s horror film with little changes, like I say, for, for what happens to the heroine in it and things like that. But it is a, the, the color, the music, the camera angles, everything. The, yes, even the threadbare plot uh, was a total homage to the 80s. So I guess to, exactly. I looked at it, and at one point I really thought to myself, when, when was this made? Because yeah. it was that clear. Even in the coloring of it, it was, it was 80s. Yeah, if, you, uh, if you didn't have the cell phones, you would have thought this came from the 80s. Thank you. Thank you. Even, even the cars that you see, they were almost generic enough that, that yeah. you can position it right there. Uh, how did you get it distributed? Okay, the fans love it. And I, I, I have my own theory in terms of publicity these days, in terms of, of horror movies. You could, you could be on Amazon, but you're one of a million movies and they have to go find it. It's the fans that, that go looking for it and put it on top. So, yeah. so that's a new world yeah. there. How is it distributed? How, uh, how is it in movie theaters? How did it get around? Well, um, that was an interesting you know, experience in itself. I've learned a lot about the, this industry, that the business side of this industry due to that. And it, it, firstly, we had some studios that wanted to pick us up and put us in theaters, but they wanted to make massive cuts to the film because of the gore. And especially the infamous hacksaw scene, which everybody talks about. Yeah. And Damon was like, absolutely not. He, he was, at first I'm like, yeah, we might have to make some concessions here. He's like, no, no, this film is going to, everything is going to hinge on basically those kill scenes. That's what's going to make this film. That's going to, what's going to separate us from everybody else and make us stand out. So he's like, no, absolutely not. So we almost went self-distribution until uh, Steve Barton, who is known as uh, Uncle Creepy, he was working for a Dread Central at the time. And he had seen us at a uh, showing when we were doing little showings across the nation at um, different like festivals uh, out in LA. And he's like, oh, he walked out of this. Oh my God, this movie has got to be seen by everybody. He's like, this is fantastic. I, I, so he went to the people at Dread Central at the time, and he's like, you guys have trust me on this. Trust me on this. Pick this movie up. It is going to go places. And they did. So, so you just needed one great big horror fan. You talk about the horror fans elevating it. You just needed that yeah. one influential horror fan. Yeah, and that's <laughs> what happened. That's what happened. And they, they took a gamble on us because I know, I know that even some of them were hesitant about, like, I don't know if people are going to be into this kind of the gore that's in this thing. He's like, no, trust me. Trust me. The horror fans, this is what they want to see. Yeah. This yeah. is what they want to see. There was a similar scene in one of the early Friday the 13th uh, films. Uh, the, same, the same basic thing as, as the hacksaw scene. But mm -hmm. they did it with, shadow, like you said, with shadow play very quickly. You don't see necessarily the the amount of verite that that you see in terrifier for that sequence so yeah you're right that fans are going to look at that and just be amazed <laughs> if you look at lovecraft country on hbo there are there are special effects sequences that are absolutely stunning 
and, and erotic in so many levels. So I think the notion of going there, I think uh, Steve Bart was very correct. I think yeah. the fans want to go there now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, I think that's really brilliant. Okay, so now you've, you've reached the pinnacle. Terrifier 2, what's happening now? I know that's coming out very soon. What's, uh, mm -hmm. what's going on with Terrifier 2? Well, I mean, first of all, we were we were wanting to originally release this October, but you know, stupid COVID happened. So uh, yeah, we we were almost finished filming too. I think maybe we had like two weeks left of filming to do when we had to go into lockdown. So that kind of threw a wrench in everything. So it's just like ah, uh, because you know, we could have filmed some more during the summer with me, but we tried it one night and it was so hot and I was sweating so much. So my makeup just started going, Bleh. I mean, we got what we needed done that night. We got all my close-ups done. So we didn't have to worry about my makeup, but Oh my God, that was a struggle. So we're like, ah, we got to wait till it's cooler to finish up my last scene that I have to do, which I'm going to be filming about this, probably about this time next month. So I'm excited about that. It's going to be our last, it's probably going to be the, the kill scene that's going to rival the hacksaw scene in the first one. So Don't that's oh my oh, gosh. oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> uh, we we already filmed the very beginnings of it back in February, and it was one of those like we had a crew member who's a huge horror fan. He he's like he's got one of those constitutions. He can handle a lot. He had to excuse himself from the room because he's like I'm getting woozy. Wow! Yeah, he's <laughs> I, like, I, I I just got to leave. I can't take this right now. I think that's a real mark of success. I'm going to yeah. be watching this movie. Yeah, it's like, I feel like I'm about to pass out by watching what's going on to this person right now. And I'm like, oh my God. It's just, it is actually the, the, the person we were talking about earlier that, that you know. So it's just like, <laughs> that, that doesn't spoil anything really for anybody. Yeah, but it's no, just they don't know who we're talking about. So. Uh, but, I'm, yes. I'm going to rip them about that. That's for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this person, it was like, oh, boy. But uh, oh, it's, so, it's something else. It's something so it's else. finishing up at the end of, uh, at the end of November. Uh, yes. Sometime in November you're going to finish that up. Yeah, I should be done. And then you'll be going into post. Uh, when, when, do you want, when do you imagine it coming out? I'm, I'm thinking early next year, early mid-next year. just depends how quickly we can get distribution. And a lot of things are dependent on, you know, the virus right now, too, because I, I, one of the yeah. things is uh, Damien's – he's got an idea where he kind of wants to do what Kevin Smith did with the, the last Jay and Silent Bob movie and do a road show with it. Because we're not sure if we would be able to be seen in theaters, you know, nationwide, because this would get an NC-17 rating easily in the first five minutes of the film, I think. <laughs> okay, I'm thrilled. Skill. Oh my yeah, so it's just the oh my god! It's like we we filmed some of that this summer when we had a cool day. You know, oh boy, it's like <laughs> it's like the 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 first strike I make on my victim, Damien's like, Dave, you realize that that would have been a whole entire kill scene in a Jason movie, right? And I'm like, yeah, and we got so much more we're doing to this thing. Oh my, <laughs> oh my gosh! It, it's uh, it's crazy. How's how's the fan feeling now? Uh, I know uh, I've like uh, I've I've known it from from one of the actresses in the show. I realized she was in it, uh, and and Casey had mentioned that. And uh, but how is it? Are, are the fans now clamoring? Are you getting are you getting all the notice in terms of oh please bring it out? What's happening? What's happening? Is oh yes, I I get messages almost daily with people's like. When's it coming out? When's it coming out? When's it coming out? When's it coming out? Even after we've posted things like, hey, it's not coming out till next year, but still people are just wanting to know. They want to know. They want to know. It's like the, the trailer when it released went bonkers. People went bonkers over that. It's like we, we hit over 500,000 views on Damien's page alone in, in less than a week. It was like, this is nuts for an independent film. You don't see that happen. That, that was pretty cool. Okay. Uh, we definitely didn't have that when we released the trailer for the first one. Uh, well, uh, they, they didn't know what was coming. Now yeah. they do. Yeah. Um, now let's talk about what's coming in terms of you. Uh, okay, one minute you're, you're playing the Grinch in a, in a tour. You're, on, you're doing Broadway tours. You're singing. Yeah. You played Mickey Mouse, for heaven's sake. Uh, uh, you, you did all this, and now, you, now, now it's going to become Freddy Krueger, Michael Myers, Jason Voorhees, Jigsaw, Art the Clown. Yeah. How do you feel about that? I, I'm okay with it. 
it just it's pretty it's surreal it's very surreal it's especially going to conventions and you know being with those guys you know sitting right next to like Jason Voorhees himself, you know, like either, you know, it's either CJ Graham or uh, Kane Hodder and, you know, hang out with Bill Mosley and, you know, all and, and Doug Bradley and all these. I'm like, oh my God. Like, you know, like when Doug Bradley and his wife come up to him, like, like David, like our kids are huge fans of yours. I'm like, what? <laughs> It's like, oh yeah, his wife was like, yeah, they never stop talking about your movie. I'm like, stop, just stop, just stop. This it's 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 a very surreal experience. It's just, and I almost I kind of have like the imposter syndrome that kicks in when I'm at these events. I I did like a panel one time with it was a behind the mask panel at Days of the Dead in Chicago, and I'm up there with Kane Hodder and. Oh God! Some of the guys that played other Jasons and Mike Myers, and I'm just sitting there on a panel with them, and I'm like, I don't. I this is like one of my first conventions, and I'm like, I don't deserve to be up here with these guys. These are the guys I've idolized my whole entire life, watching them in movies, and I'm like, I, I I'm not worthy of this. It, it's it's a very surreal experience because I'm like, this is I, I I'm still to myself just you know, the, the skinny little nerd from Alabama <laughs> that did community theater and all that kind of stuff and was bullied all those days. You know, it's, like, it's, it's very, it's a very humbling experience too. It's just, but I'm happy. I'm, it's, I just never expected this with my life. Let, let's talk pro and con for a second. The pro, you're going to have people who are going to come over to you eventually and say, I am not worthy to see the next horror icon is going to sit on a panel with you saying, I'm not worthy to sit next to David Thornton. Uh, That's weird. You, thank you. Okay. Just, uh, just, just like, and said, oh, I, I, oh my God, Robert England, I can't be in the same sentence as Robert England. Uh, eventually, people are going to say, I can't be yeah, in the same sentence like, as David Thornton. How's that feel? That's weird. That's weird. It's very weird. I'm like, no, no, of course. Yes. Come. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Now, 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 let me give one. Now, let's look at the con in one sense. Are you afraid in any way of typecasting? You have so much makeup on that I not gather eventually really. disappear, but still. Yeah. Not really, because these are the kind of roles I enjoy playing. And I, I look at Doug Jones. I like the, the career Doug has had, because he's, he's the creature guy. He, he does, and he's been able to play so many amazing characters over the years. And we're so much alike physically too. So I'm like, I, I've I've always looked at Doug's career. I'm like, I would like my career to go that way, to be the character guy, because you have longevity that way, as well. You get to play some characters that you know actors would kill to play because they're they're out they're they're so far out that they're very unique and interesting characters. So I have no problem with you know being typecast in those type of roles. I, I could see I could see them tapping into both sides of your life, and one day you're playing Shylock, or mm -hmm. or something like that in The Merchant of Venice. Or uh, uh, we, we oh, see I that all the that. time. We we have we have Shakespearean actors who are who are X Men and and wizards. So, yeah. so I could I could. Do you think the industry and I hate to use this word has been forgiving in that sense, so that an actor, even though they're playing this kind of role, they will hand them Hamlet. They will hand them. The, the rom-com, they will hand them these movies because of their talent? You think uh, horror movies have reached that point? I, I should hope so. I, I, I would hope so one day. Because, you know, I, like I said, look at Doug. He's done so many horror, but he now he's also on Star Trek. Right, right. So he's... And then he was up, you know, the Oscars for Shape of Water, where he played a creature. <sighs> so it's just like, yeah. This is, it's So, yeah, there's... I think the industry has got because the industry now is not like it was about even 10, 20 years ago, where it's all about the handsome leading man. Now they're about the everybody. Everybody can have you, you have like, you know, Melissa McCarthy, who 20 years ago would not have been having leading roles in in films because she, she wasn't your stereotypical leading woman, the very skinny, svelte woman. She's. She's hysterically funny and so very talented, and you see that happening throughout the industry, whereas it's people that, you know, aren't, I guess you would say, typically stunningly attractive that are now 
being recognized for their talent. Talent is now speaking for itself, I, I guess you could say. I think that's great. I, I, I also think that we're not looking at people, you don't have to be of a certain look to, right. to, be, to, be the, to be the leading man, to be the leading lady. Uh, we're, right. we're opening our minds on that level. It's so funny you say about uh, Doug Jones and the shape of water. Uh, I think that was, uh, pardon the pun, that was a watershed moment because that <laughs> film won the Academy Award. That film won the it Academy did. Award as Best Picture. And essentially, if you want to get pithy, it's just the creature from the Black Lagoon gets the girl. Yeah. That actual film. Uh, uh, I, I think it's quite amazing that we've reached that point. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think with talent such as yours, we're going to see that transcendence. We're going to see... We're going to see many more Art the Clowns, and we're going to see you uh, display that same kind of brilliance without, without the wild makeup. Well, thank you. Um, uh, what's going on now? What's, what, what are you looking forward to? What's, what's the next movie? What's the next thing that, uh, that you're looking into? Well, uh, I, I just recently filmed a very small little cameo role in a film called The Dark Offerings. It's coming out later on this month. I think I'm on Amazon and streaming platforms it's a horror film that was shot exclusively over zoom during the outbreak it's not focused on the outbreak of covid but it's it was shot that way everybody it was really fun because i was having to act with the other actors at their place over zoom so that was kind of a challenge they they, they sent some over just to do my makeup and huh. then I would also then I just go and act off of Zoom, and it was it was it was a fun experience. So I'm, I, like I have that. What's what that? What's it like? What's it like to act on Zoom? It's definitely different because it's you can't. I, I had a hard time really concentrating and watching the. It, it was it was it was a little bit of a challenge because I'm used to being able to act off of the other actors, you know, physically, and. You know, I, when you're doing Zoom, I, I had to have my screen up the whole entire time. So I was only seeing myself. I had them on smaller screens, but so I could barely see what they're doing. So I'm just having to basically trust that they're doing stuff that complements what I'm doing. <laughs> so it was interesting. It was definitely a challenge. Thank you so much uh, for chatting with me. I'm not kidding. I think the, the work that you've done with that part, the, the talent you've brought to it is, is such an amazing thing with that movie. Uh, and I so look forward to Terrifier 2 and everything else Thank that you're going to do and, and, and watching you get used to your icon status. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'll, I'll also let you know I have two other projects. That are oh, yes, please. I, I just joined on to uh, another independent film that just did an Indiegogo campaign that was very successful called Time's Up that uh, a lot of people are involved in, like uh, Damon Maffei, Elsie uh, Holt, and Felissa Rose are producers and also oh, in it as well. Great. So that's going to be fun. I start filming that. I do a little cameo role in that as well. They just wrote it for me because they wanted me to be part of it. Right. And I'll be doing that in January. And then I'll be also doing another film called Stream, which I'll be filming with uh, a lot of our Terrifier crew, our Fuzz on the Lens guys. This is with their film company. And they have a lot of uh, big name horror people in that as well, like Jeffrey Combs and uh, so other people I can't really name yet that are I'm very excited about working with. So it's, it's a lot of fun stuff coming up. That's great. Oh, that's great. I'm, 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 I'm so happy that, that you're building on this because it's, it's, you deserve it. As simple as that. Thank your you, you. your your talent deserves to to be seen in all venues. So I'm I'm glad you're building on that. Uh, thank you, David Howard Thornton. Thank you so much for for taking the time and going through Zoom hell uh, <laughs> with me. Um, and and I look forward to hearing everything. And and let me know what's happening with Terrifier Two. Would love to talk to to Damien and and everyone involved when uh, of course when, when of things course. are happening again. Oh, there's so much to talk about once it comes out. <laughs> oh, my God. I can't wait. I can't oh, wait. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're it. very welcome. Thank you for having me here. Quite all right. Ciao. All right. Bye.